0: Podcast
1: One Production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for thirty years, reporting on all the Aussie stars from Hoag's to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood.
0: Adelaide-born Teresa Palmer may only be thirty-one, but as you'll soon hear, we can call her a true stayer of Hollywood. Her acting work in Australia led to a breakout Hollywood role in The Grudge 2 and she's been going non-stop ever since, working with the likes of Nicolas Cage, Adam Sandler and Steven Spielberg. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Last year she had her biggest career breakthrough so far, starring in Mel Gibson's Oscar-nominated Hacksaw Ridge. I've known Teresa a long time and I call her a stayer because as you'll hear she's fought to find her place in Hollywood, not only on the big screen but striking the ever-challenging balance in her personal life too. I caught up with Teresa at her home in Beechwood Canyon. We were sitting on her balcony looking at the corner of the Hollywood sign and she shares that beautiful home with her husband, director Mark Webber. You'll hear about their Twitter-related love story later. Teresa's children were being looked after by her mum, who was visiting from Adelaide, while we caught up over her snack of choice, vegan banana bread and a green smoothie. We started by diving into the deep end. I've known you a long time and just does feel, from my perspective, you know, you've had a lot of those situations where things almost happened or they fell apart or they missed out. It feels like you're on the train now, so to speak, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a tumultuous first five to eight years of being out here. I had so many ups and downs, a lot of downs um, with my career. I had you know, films that I was attached to, for instance, Justice League of America with George Miller, um, that fell apart. We had been down in Sydney for a few weeks, about to shoot that film, and then it was very exciting. I was playing Talia Al Ghul, and big superhero movie falls apart, and then you know, a few years earlier. I had been fired and replaced on a movie jumper. I was in a film with Tom Sturridge and him and I both got replaced with more famous actors. So that had happened. That was my, one of my first big American movie experiences. And so I was fired off that and Justice League fell apart. And then the year after I was in another movie that was supposed to be this big comedy called Take Me Home Tonight. And it ended up Getting held by the studio for four years, and then it got this really soft little release, and no one saw the movie, and there was just there was a lot of that. I was attached to um, play Ophelia in Hamlet with uh, Emil Hirsch. Playing Hamlet, and then that fell apart. There was just—it just happened. Well, I had no idea it was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of uh, roadblocks, and so it's been nice that the last few years has been a little more smooth sailing. And you developed another
0: skill, which is breastfeeding while on the campaign trail. <laughs> I've never seen anybody handle a newborn baby. The way you have, you know, I saw you at the Golden Globes and you were at the Oscars and <laughs> yeah. Day USA. Has it been challenging? Is it
2: as easy as it looks because you make it look so easy? You know, I have a lot of amazing support from my husband. So I think if I, if he wasn't the kind of hands-on, very in-touch parent that he is, I think it would be a lot more challenging. So he really allows me to continue to do things like promote my films and go to the awards and and he'll be right there he'll be in the hotel room with the baby I can run over and breastfeed and so So wait in the middle of the Oscars or in the middle of the Golden Globes yeah middle of the Golden Globes he was only three weeks old when I went to the Golden Globes so I had him upstairs in a hotel room which you really helped me facilitate so if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been able to arrange that. And also Jenny was the one that helped me get to go to the Golden Globes (laughs) in the first place. And so I owe you big time for that experience. And then I'm so glad I could help you get into that room.
0: It's an amazing room. It
2: was incredible. Like it was a dream. It was surreal to be there and to be looking around and Mm. sharing a table with the people I was sharing a table with. You sat me with Amy Schumer who <laughs> I'm such a big fan of hers and Goldie Horn was there and Laura Dern and just these incredible artists that I'm so inspired by and but it was great because Blake Lively. I was, was in the back um, by the way. You were? <laughs> you are in the back? Oh god look at you. <laughs> but <laughs> Blake Lively was sitting very close to me and she's also a breastfeeding mama and I was like I gotta go breastfeed right now. She's like Go do it. You just <laughs> there's an ad break. Just run, breastfeed, come back. You'll be fine. And it was it was just a beautiful, supportive uh, community of amazing uh, actors and actresses. And it was just what a overwhelming experience. It was it was lovely. You share
0: that working mother relationship with a lot of your actor friends. too, that you're able to support each other because that's a relatively... (laughs) Oh, Kato. Is that your dog? Hush,
2: hush, yes. He's got to listen to that bark. I mean, he has a scary bark. We had some break-ins and then we got him and we've had no break-ins since.
0: (laughs) You were talking about uh, the working mothers over here who are actresses and that you were connecting even at the Golden Globes with Blake Lively saying it. I mean, I imagine it's much easier now... It's so much more accepted on a set that the females can go and breastfeed and the support you get on a set these days and how that's changed.
2: I remember having the fear that after I had kids that the jobs would just start to fade away and that I have had the opposite experience. I started working a lot more since I had my son. And that might just be a coincidence because it just aligned that way, but... I also feel that there has been such a beautiful shift towards embracing working mothers, especially in Hollywood. And I never, ever think of my kids as a hindrance. And I don't think they're ever seen as a hindrance. I go into meetings and I don't feel the need to hide the fact that I have children. I talk about my sons, I talk about my stepson and I talk about wanting to have more kids. I want more and more and more children. I want so many kids. And I feel as though I can be honest about that. And I think years ago I probably would have been hesitant to talk about the fact that I wanted to have a lot of children. And I love that you can do both. That was always my dream and before my nana died, She was a mother of eight children, my mum being one of them. She said to me, I love that you are now doing what you love, which is acting, but always remember that your number one has always been to be a mother. She's like, all you've ever wanted is to be a mum. And she just knew me so well and that was our last conversation before she died was just about how much... I want to have so many children and be a stay-at-home mom, and it's great because I was really sad when I was in my younger 20s because I thought that it meant I had to throw away my dreams of being this stay-at-home mom. now that I was working in Hollywood and now I found that I can do both. I get to take my son to school every single day. I get to be with them from the moment we wake up till they go to sleep because I'm allowed to bring them with me to work. And it is such an incredible luxury and I wouldn't be able to do it without my supportive husband, but you can do both and that's really exciting.
0: Wow. So let's go back to the beginning. You yeah. grew up in Adelaide. You were an only child. Oops. You've said before you came from humble beginnings and lived in public <laughs> housing. Can you tell me a little bit about that without it turning into a very dramatic, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but you have
2: come a long way. Yeah, it's interesting. I had such a colourful upbringing. I uh, would split my time between my mum's house and my dad's house. And my dad is an atheist and my mum is, like, a very strict Catholic and we lived in housing trust homes, and but then my dad... He was a self-made millionaire. Um, he figured out a way to compare horse statistics and so he essentially became a professional gambler and that's how he made his money. So I'd be swinging from these two houses during the week and it was just complete polar opposite experiences I was getting from my dad and then from my mom. And, you know, mum and I moved a lot. We moved probably eight or nine times from different housing trust units. You know, my mum has a lot of mental health challenges. So we had this wonderful relationship and that was just her and I. So we were incredibly close. We really leaned on each other for support. But I did have to grow up very quickly. And I think acting for me was sort of an escapism. When I was 16, I just decided I had to be an actress. I had seen the Olsen twins in It Takes Two and I really was so inspired by that world and what they were doing. haven't heard that as an
0: inspiration before. (laughs) I
2: know, but I was the perfect age to watch that movie and I had grown up watching them in films and I knew I wanted to have some kind of involvement in the entertainment industry. So my dad paid for acting lessons and he wasn't that into the idea of me becoming an actor, to be honest, because he really loved the fact that, I was excelling academically in certain areas. I um, always scored high marks in English and tourism and I thought I wanted to become a teacher. And then that just changed when I started auditioning and I would audition for Pepsi commercials and I was in a Subway commercial and various things. I was so fulfilled doing it and I remember I was an extra in Wolf Creek Yes, on IMDB, (laughs) it says pool party person. I was a pool party person. And it's so funny because you can actually see me. Um, I've had fans since say, we watched Wolf Creek and we could see you in the background. And I'm in a little bikini. They put all the extras in bikinis and we we had to jump in the pool, but I was actually supposed to be far way back in the background and I remember I would swim closer and closer to the lead guy just so I would get some screen time so I could point <laughs> out that there I was, I was in a movie once um, and there is footage of me. I kept, kept on splashing the lead guy in the film and they kept it and so that was my first role was of an extra in, in Wolf Creek, a pool party person. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's, I, I was bitten by that bug I think at that point and... My dad's like, "All right, we can go down this path, and I'll pay for you to have lessons and learn your craft." And and then I had a lot of luck.
0: So when did you win this contest, and how much of an influence did that have?
2: Also, when I was everything happened when I was sixteen. I also wrote down because Nicole Kidman, who I know you're friends with, and. I've met a bunch since I've been out here. She was my inspiration. Her career was my dream. I wanted to do everything Nicole Kidman was doing. I just looked up to her. I had pictures of her on my wall. I had looked up and I saw that she had Googled um, the William Morris Agency. I guess she was represented by William Morris Agency at some point. And because I knew she was represented there, When I was 16, I decided that that is where I was going to be represented because Nicole is represented there. So I would write to William Morris Agency almost every other weekend waiting to hear a response. But it would be like, I'm 16 years old. I live in Adelaide, South Australia. I'm a Nicole Kidman fan. I want to be an actress. Would you please represent me? And obviously I never heard back from them. (laughs) Somebody there's
0: pretty sorry now to hear that.
2: (laughs) The funny thing is, is that uh, that's my agency now. I'm with William Morris Endeavor. (laughs) Seriously? It's who I'm represented by. And I told that story when I went and met with them when I was 18. And, And it's funny now to go to events and see Nicole and meet her and talk with her and no, if only she knew. She was such a big inspiration. I feel as though I put so much energy into you just researching her career and how she got started that it was very helpful in my own journey. So,
0: well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that listen to this cuz they'll be wanting to figure out how the heck did Teresa do it? <laughs> so, you'll be inspiring. manifested. <laughs> and, and it wasn't easy for you. You didn't have one of those like I talked to Yvonne Strahovski and she was here three days and she got the lead in a series. Oh, oh my gosh, amazing. You know, three
2: days. Mm. (laughs) Uh, That was not your journey. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. But I still was incredibly lucky, I think. My first film premiered at Cannes, (laughs) so that's pretty unheard of. Yeah. And that was incredibly lucky and I knew it was a special film but I hadn't done anything else before. I was just excited to do a film and, of course, it – it premiered there in 2006. We got a standing ovation and, and that was the beginning of it all. Did you get an agent right there on the
0: spot at Cannes or did that just sort of give you a calling card?
2: Yeah, well, that's when the agent started calling. I had an American manager because I actually got 237 and I had been an extra in this film called Deck Dogs and there was this lead actor, Richard Wilson, who was on the film, And I had gone up to him in in between takes and, you know, it's quite taboo for the extra to go and talk to the lead guy. And I was like, hi, I'm so sorry, I'm just interested. Who are you represented by in Australia? And he told me Shanahan Management. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Nicole Kidman's represented by them too. And then I remember writing down the name of the agency and after I was cast in 237, I emailed the agency and said, I just got cast in this movie. I also just got this role in December Boys through my local agency. I'd love to meet with you. And Anne Churchill Brown, who's this powerhouse agent in Australia and also was Nicole's agent and was Heath's agent, um, her assistant rang me on my mobile. On my, I had like that 8, 9210, like that Nokia, that big brick Nokia phone that I bought from Cash Converters for $5. <laughs> um, and I remember they rang and... She was like Anne Churchill Brown wants to meet you. She got your email saying that you want to be represented by Shanahan. She wa- she actually wants to meet you, and I could tell the assistant was very surprised too. <laughs> and so my dad flew me to meet Anne. I met with Anne. I started working with her. It was very surreal. My dad stood up in the meeting and said, my daughter's a very good girl. She doesn't drink alcohol. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't do any drugs. And I, if she does this acting thing, I don't want her to do any of those things. And he basically said, that's on you, Anne. You got to make sure she doesn't get into trouble. And of course I was mortified, but, <laughs> and, um, Anne signed me and, and that was it. I got a film, a little, a small Australian film. And for the, rehearsals, they flew us out to Los Angeles and uh, Anne set me up with David Seltzer, my manager. So I signed with my American manager during the rehearsal period on that Australian film called Restraint. And that was that. Wow.
0: (laughs) So I was looking at the Vogue story you did recently, which was the most beautiful cover I've ever seen of you as the perfect mum with those two (laughs) beautiful little boys.
2: Oh, looks can be deceiving. Let's just say that. That was a (laughs) Challenging shoot.
0: <laughs> but the quote that struck out about your childhood for me was you, you were talking about your mum and you said, um, I became so self-sufficient because I had to grow up so quickly. Um, I'm grateful for all the experiences because it taught me how to take care of myself. If I'd not experienced the childhood I had, I never would have been able to come out to America at the age of 19 and survive those first challenging years where I was lonely if it's not too personal, what Mm -hmm. were the experiences that made you feel like you could handle anything at 19?
2: Yeah, well, I think I certainly had a really different upbringing from a lot of people because of my mum's mental health uh, challenges. She has schizoaffective disorder. So that's, um, I guess, in layman's terms, it's like uh, bipolar with some schizophrenic tendencies. So... Growing up, I definitely had to navigate um, her health and we did that together and we really were like partners in crime. And um, the dynamic was very different because my mum, as a default of her illness, can be very childlike. So it was like having a built-in best friend, but it meant that I had to be very independent. And the great thing, the gift in that is that, you know, at 19 if I had had more of a sheltered upbringing, um, I don't think I would have been able to survive coming out here because it was incredibly isolating and challenging. I was just thrust out here. I didn't know anyone. This is a whole new country. I'm on my own, feeling very vulnerable, but I knew I could do it because I had had to get through a lot of things in my life up until that point. And I just soldiered on. And I think that was just my mentality as a child. I I just sold it on and I didn't I, – I wasn't deeply emotionally affected. I mean perhaps subconsciously I was but I didn't have really hard experiences that knocked me for six when I was a child. I just mowed through them and I could just move through them in a way which made me have – a healthy perspective about what it's like growing up with a parent who is mentally ill, and I'm grateful, I am so grateful for those experiences. It taught me so much, and also as a result of my mum's mental illness, she is the most selfless person in the entire world. She's one big love heart, all she is is just this beating heart of love and acceptance and um and understanding and I, I think I really took on a lot of those qualities and when I came out here I was just this open vulnerable flower um but I was a big lover and even the challenging experiences getting fired from that job that happened very quickly when I got out here and I thought what can I learn from this how can I grow from this where's the, where is the lesson and it didn't break me and it's, that was very important for those first few years because I think otherwise I would have turned around and come home and, and given up. Do you feel like warm bodies, in a way, was also a turning point? Move away from them, Julie. No! Julie, move now. Dad! You have to listen to me. I know we lost everybody. I know you lost mom, But you and me, we are still here. We can fix all this. We can start over. They need our help.
0: If you look back at the movies you've made, the sort of one step forward, two step backs, yeah. where does that one fit in? It was a special that film. Was a, that
2: was a big step forward, I think, for me. Uh, it was really special because Bruna Papandrea, who was a producer from Adelaide, and I remember auditioning Her for Aussie, a,
0: another Aussie.
2: Aussie, I know, she's the best. Um, I remember auditioning, I was like, I'm going to have fun on this movie. This is someone I really connect with. And I know that if I get this film, this is going to be a game changer. Um, But honestly, because I was thinking about how positive the experience would be and then when we were shooting it, I realised, oh, I think we're going to end up connecting with people in a real way. And it was the film that made life easier (laughs) for me in terms of my career. I'm... I don't love auditioning. It's not one of my favourite things to do because a lot of the time you go in, I mean, traditional auditioning is you go in, you say hi for 15 seconds and like, all right, start the scene. And you just have to go into the scene and you have this little moment, maybe five minutes to prove that this is the best you can be and this is how you're right for the character and you don't get to have any kind of proper connection on a real way and discuss the ebbs and flows and backstories and you don't get to have that opportunity at all. So that's why I find auditioning really challenging. But the great thing about Warm Bodies is that put an end to that kind of auditioning for me. So Warm Bodies did change things in that way.
0: Although the success of Warm Bodies meant that Teresa didn't have to do that revolving door of auditions anymore, it still didn't mean she could avoid them entirely. Next, Teresa shares about a series of stumbles, including unlucky emails and password problems that meant she almost missed out on a lead role in Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge, and how she turned the situation around to convince the sometimes intense movie star turned director to give her the part. That soon on Aussies in Hollywood. Talking about Hacksaw Ridge, then I heard that you almost missed the chance to audition for that or
2: something. Was there a story behind Hacksaw? I got the script, I read it, and I loved it. I loved it so much because Desmond Doss reminded me of my mum and my mum is such a woman of faith and my mum hasn't been able to watch a lot of my movies because, you know, I've had a lot of darker films that, emotionally she wouldn't be able to handle so she's never going to see Berlin Syndrome but Hacksaw Ridge (laughs) I was like oh my mum could watch this it's a beautiful story the script was amazing I'm such a big Mel Gibson fan so I said to my husband I gotta put myself down on tape for this one what should we do and so my husband Mark who's a director was like all right Let's shoot it in the bedroom. I'm going to set up the stage. So Mark, like, set up the jail room because the audition piece was the scene of me and Desmond in the jail. He set it all up and we just shot it on his iPhone. We did it a few times. And I like to do 100 takes and then send in, look at every single one and then send in the very best one. But Mark, being a director, he was like, I knew that we had it. I knew the second one was it. Like, the second take, let's just send it in. So, I sent it in not feeling very confident. And then I didn't hear back. <laughs> I didn't hear back at all. And that usually means, all right, they weren't interested. So, I moved on. Probably two months later, I heard Mel liked your audition for Hacksaw. I was like, oh, fantastic. Okay. Like, he wants to Skype with you at some point to talk about it. I was like, fantastic. So, I was really excited about it. It's quite surreal. Uh, I went and surprised my husband for his 35th birthday with all my friends and, you know, had a glass of wine. I had a babysitter for Bodie. I was driving back home and then I get this, I see on my phone, Nikki Barrett is calling me. I was like, Nikki Barrett? I was Like the casting director from Australia is calling me on my American phone? What? So I answer and she was like, Teresa, Mel has been on Skype waiting for you for 30 minutes. And I was like what? She was like, you were meant to be Skyping with Mel right now. And I thank God I was driving up my street. So I sped. But here's the problem is I hadn't read the full script in so long. I had forgotten even the, the character's name. It had been two, two months since the audition. I hadn't ever been told when I was Skyping with Mel, I was just going to read the script, you know, the day before our Skype. So I guess what happened was an email never landed And it had all been planned for that night. So I had to race home. All my devices were dead. So my iPad was dead. My phone was on 2%. My home computer, I had forgotten my password. And there he was. I knew he was just sitting there waiting. So I'm trying all these different passwords. (laughs) I finally make it in. I jump on Skype. I had to remember my password. I was like, I'm so sorry. And I see him standing there and there's like a, bunch of people behind him with their arms crossed. And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm mortified." And then I realized that my camera's not working. And so I hear Mel saying, "All I can see is a picture of you and a dog." And I was like, "Oh god, it's a, that's my that's my profile pic of me and my dog Luna. I apologize. I'm going to I swear I'm going to get this working. So it's not working at all. Meanwhile, Mark has run and has plugged in every one of our devices. And so finally, my iPad like springs to life. And I was like, hang on, I'm, I'm going to recall you from my iPad. So I go and recall from the iPad and I finally connect and he sees my face. He's like, "Ah, oh, there you are. I was like, hi, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even realise this was happening. And then it shuts off and it didn't have enough battery power for, for the Skype. So then meanwhile my phone's at like 10%, so I grab my phone, I get back on Skype, I finally get there I was like, Mel, I I know I've just totally blown my chance. I am so sorry. Um I, I just don't even know what to say. I wasn't prepared, nor that someone's gonna be in trouble about this over at William Morris. Anyway, so he kind of laughed it off and then we started connecting on my mum being Catholic and living in Adelaide and it being the city of churches and I was so fumbly and all over the place. I had no makeup on. I hadn't read the script, but I somehow remembered a little bit about the character. So I said things like, she's deep and layered, but vulnerable. And you know, I just kind of said these words that I think could probably apply to any woman. And he was like, like, you know, so much. (laughs) I know. He was like, you're right. Exactly. Exactly. So I just kept saying more of what I was saying in different ways. And then I was like, all right, I'm actually... I'm actually kind of killing this. This is working, and I think because I was so unprepared, I was all over the place. He said as he was hanging up, "You know what? I like you." He's like, "I like you. You're real." And I was like, "Yes!" And then we hung up, and then I got the job. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I got the job from that. You're the belt man, Desmond. It's yes, me. Well, Desmond, we can't take your blood two days in a row. That's
0: good. Came to get my back. You what? My blood needed back.
2: <laughs> well, it don't work like that. We can't just give it back to you.
0: Well, you got to. Ever since you stubbed me with that needle, my heart's been beating real fast. Every time I think about you, it beats faster still.
2: <gasps> I never heard that one before. It's pretty corny. Wow. It's pretty crazy. <laughs>
0: that was a a pretty amazing experience I would imagine making a movie like that and with Andrew Garfield as the lead and Mel Gibson as your director yet you were filming in Australia so what was it like and when you look back
2: on the the memories of filming that film what what really stands out? What I loved so much about it it was it was one of the most challenging films I've had to do only because of the timing I was shooting Berlin Syndrome at the same time so I was balancing between both films I finished Berlin Syndrome I had two days to go back onto Hacksaw Ridge between the accent and just like two polar opposite characters it was so challenging for me the film but I loved it so much because of the Australian crew the crew on Hacksaw happened to all be the same crew that I had worked with earlier in the year on this movie called 222 so the costume designer, the hair and makeup team, that everyone was the same. So they were my family and I felt really held by everyone so that as exhausted as I was and as challenging as that experience um, was for me to really break up with this character in Berlin Syndrome and have to just throw myself into this whole other world, this vintage period piece with this accent and it was such a beautiful experience one of my favorite filming experiences that I've had and I think that's equal parts because Andrew and I get on so well he is a ray of sunshine he's a deep thinker he just loves going deep and talking deep and having really real inspiring conversations so in between each scene we would huddle together and we would just talk about life and get really esoteric and the meaning of life and we we both loved going there so that <laughs> It was amazing and really helped with our chemistry, I think, too. And the Mel is just this jovial spirit. His energy is infectious and he's like this big kid and he's so passionate about the film and excited and, and we just collaborated in such a beautiful way. And, um, you know, he was steering this ship, but because of his beautiful energy, I think everyone really responded well to it and it made for such a fluid filming experience for everyone. Had you met Mel before? No. Except on Skype. No, on Skype. That was the very first time I met Mel Gibson on Skype in that horrendous Skype situation. But (laughs) I guess something So he
0: comes with a lot of baggage in terms of what people perceive him to be or who they perceive him to be. A lot of people are probably pretty intimidated when they actually meet him and wonder which of the stories are true. But yet actors who've worked with him always rave about him. So what what did you have the feeling about going into that experience and did anything surprise you?
2: I really pride myself on, I really believe that I eradicate, like, judgement. I I do not believe in judging someone unless, even my closest friends, I don't judge them. I have real conversations with them about, Situations, but I've I never judged someone, and especially someone that I've never met before. I've never met him. This perceived notion of who he is is fabricated from little snippets in his life that have been blasted out publicly, and I thought that was incredibly unfair to come in with uh, a judgment of who he is as a as a person. So I was just it was like this clean slate, I had this open energy, and I was really excited to. Uh, form my own relationship with him and my own dynamic with him outside of whatever anyone else had to say about him. And I had heard such positive things from my agents. and But even then I wanted to forge my own relationship. So I came into it um, just being really open and I loved him and I had a beautiful experience and he was so giving to my mum who's obsessed with him from Passion of the Christ and that whole experience obviously that's my mum's everything that movie being very Catholic was so sweet with my baby son Bodhi at the time I would snuggle him and throw him up on his shoulders and I just he was a warm character and I really responded well to him
0: and a great filmmaker he got a
2: do you think he had a lot to do with the performance that you gave Definitely, yeah. Mel was very hands-on, very specific. He knew exactly what he wanted and you would just keep doing takes until he found what he wanted. I really loved that. He's such an actor's director, I think. It was just so beneficial to have someone who's been there and knows the complexity of, of being a performer and he spoke to that. You
0: were um, one of the earlier waves of Australians that came to LA and now we're surrounded by them that we don't even know who... Mm -hmm. Half of them are until they open their mouth when they walk off set. Do you have any theories on why from such a tiny country you think so many Australians have been so successful here?
2: Gosh, I like to say it's just our vibe, Um, the way we like to work. I think Australians in general are incredibly hardworking, passionate, jovial people always have fun with Australians and I think that's the general consensus. It's fun to go to work with my Aussies with my them, my comrades and they work hard. I feel like, you know, people like Nicole Kidman and Naomi Watts and Russell Crowe and, and Philip Noyce and all these directors and actors before us have given us such a good reputation because not only are they brilliant at what they do, they're good people to be around and... Well, I certainly think my journey has been easier because they've come and paved the way before us. I also think we have a small film industry in Australia. It's not... It's very different to the American film industry. There are so many films being made out here in in America that there are just tonnes more opportunities. And in Australia, the level of work, the quality of films so high that it's a very competitive place and there are just much, much, much fewer films being made that really your only option, unless you are lucky enough to be one of the the few chosen ones that gets to be in these high-caliber Australian films, the next step is just to go to America and try and get work out here. And luckily I started in Australia, but I came and really made more of a name for myself out here in America first... And now I get to be one of those lucky people. They get to go back and be in these incredible Australian films because I just think the calibre of these films, it's unlike any other country in my opinion. Mm. I want to continuously go back to Australia and keep working there. You mentioned
0: when you first got here it was lonely and you didn't know anyone. Um, There is a big Aussie contingent now. Did you... Find other Australians? Have you always gravitated towards them over here? They're, they're just around. There are so many Aussies here in LA.
2: And all your Me, close
0: friends are Australian too, right? Yeah. A lot of them, like
2: Phoebe. Phoebe's one of my best friends. Um, Phoebe Tonkin, Phoebe an Tonkin, actress. Bella Heathcote, Tina Totsi, Gemma Pranita, who's gone back to Australia now. Yeah, I just have a lot of Aussie friends and it feels good. Actually, my bestest friend in the world from Adelaide Came out here and became a very successful stylist. So, and she's my stylist. She's Oprah's stylist. She's she's like done really well for herself. And Wait, we,
0: she's a girl from Adelaide, and she's Oprah's stylist. She's
2: Oprah's stylist. She is my best friend from high school. So we've been best friends since. What's we were her 15. name? Give her a shout out. Annabelle Harran. <laughs> Our mums were best friends, and she's now come out here and she's traveling the world, styling all these incredible people. So I flock to my Aussie girlfriends.
0: The last thing I wanna ask talked about is your wonderful romantic How You Met Your Husband story <laughs> on Twitter. I just love it so much. But also before that, you you had a lot of very high profile relationships that there's pictures I don't know of if you with very
2: high profile. <laughs> oh, uh, Russell Brand, Adam <laughs> Brody, Topher Grace. Oh, goodness. Uh, don't you think that's high profile? Well, they're just they're, they're just, just people. The bo- yeah, to me it's so funny because like the perception is that they're these big actors but to me they're just they're just guys that I dated the same way I would have been dating so-and-so who worked at, you know, who was a teacher at the same school that I worked at. Um, but, yeah, what they did as a job was that they were, they were actors. I'm even surprised the media would pick up that, I dated those other guys (laughs) very, very briefly. I was in my 20s. They were just the people that I met too because they were who I worked with or just crossed paths with. Adam I met through um, Justice League of America. We were both meant to be in that film. Russell, I had no idea who he was or what he did. He was just some actor on, you know, the film Bedtime Stories he was so quirky and out there and brilliant. But we dated very briefly. Um, but of course, you yeah, know, he's an
0: interesting guy.
2: But then put that all behind you, yeah.
0: and tell us about the the day that you sent the tweet that changed your life.
2: <laughs> I was in I was at the Bowery Hotel in New York, and I was very sad. I had just a boyfriend had just obliterated my heart, and um, I thought I was going to be lonely forever, and I was never going to be able to have children and meet someone, and um, I was just in a really sad place. And I happened to watch a trailer to this movie that popped up. And I remember seeing Amanda Seyfried in the trailer and I saw that it was at Sundance. I was like, oh, great. Amanda has another film at Sundance. I was like, oh, my career's over. I'm never going to have a film at Sundance. (laughs) My life sucks. And then I saw the film, the trailer, and I thought, wow, this is beautiful. What a gorgeous movie. So I ended up tweeting about it and just said guys you should check this out this is an amazing trailer and then that's it was my husband's film that he had directed and he wrote to me back on Twitter and he was like thank you so much for the support and then I noticed he started following me and so I was like oh that director from that film I tweeted about followed me I guess I'll follow him back and then um he uh I heard from a friend of mine she said, um, my friend Justin is with Mark Webber right now. They're in New Orleans and he wants to know if you're single. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? This, what? I did not tweet about that at all for anything romantic. It was just an interesting film. And then um, sure enough we just started liking each other and he was a single dad. And he was you mean vegan.
0: liking each other in the real world, not like on social media where you <laughs> like someone, right? Yeah,
2: well, we did like each other's tweets. But then he, he took it to a DM. <laughs> a, little, a little private DM. And he was like... Direct I'm,
0: message for people who don't know yeah, about social media.
2: Yeah, so we tweeted and then he DM'd me. So you can only DM someone when you both follow each other. So he sent me a message saying, oh, wow, I'm an admirer of yours. <laughs> it's so sweet that you tweeted me. And then I messaged him back and then we found out we were both vegan. We both had the same favourite restaurant. It's very obscure vegan Japanese restaurant in this downtown town. Asian market, but like no one knows about this restaurant and it was his favourite too. Anyway, so we just started emailing each other from that point and we fell in love over email Um, and we did 40 days of emailing until we met face-to-face. So we'd already essentially fallen in love through our writing and then we met face-to-face and I was like, oh, this is what it's meant to feel like. Mm. Um, And he really felt like home. It was this home feeling. And you didn't waste any time on the family front? No. I was like, "Oh, he's already had a kid. He's great. He's he's got this down. I'm desperate to have a baby with this man." So we got pregnant 8 months later. <laughs> then got we were And he has an 8-year-old as now eight you're a stepmom to but, an 8-year-old? Yeah, I became essentially his stepmother figure when Isaac was 4. And then we had Bodie two years later and then we had forest two and a half years after that and now we're a one big happy family three boys oh well, it's great
0: so what's next you seem to be enjoying having a little downtime finally and your mom's visiting um, and the kids are around yeah are you anxious to get to work do you still have that same feeling actresses always say like I'm never going to get another job again yeah. or do you feel more confident now Coming yeah, off these two films. I
2: was feeling very confident <laughs> only because my team <laughs> said all the right things. You're in the best place you've been. This is so exciting. Um, but we're also in a place where we're, uh, we're trying to be relatively selective because of these positive experiences. And I, I don't want to take... I don't want to keep doing the two steps backwards, one step forward. I want to keep moving forward if we can. And if that means i got to sit and be patient for a while... I'm happy to do that because I just have such an enriching life with my kids and it is my favourite thing to do in the world and and I really do look at my career now more as my job as opposed to my everything and I think when I was younger it was my everything and now my family and my sons are my everything. So if there happens to be a film that's great and has a potential to, to be one of these positive experiences like Hacksaw Ridge or... Or Berlin Syndrome. So why did you come to Berlin? You know those life experiences that people talk about all the time? I don't want this to end. I wish I could stay. I love being creative and just being in that headspace. I love it. And I haven't worked for a while because I took all of last year off. I did those five films back to back in that. 2015 Hacksaw Ridge was my very last film of that year I wrapped that early December 2015 and then I was exhausted so I took a year off and got pregnant so I am ready I'm ready for the right thing yeah
0: Well, that's a great note to end on. (laughs) Teresa Palmer, thank you so much for taking the time
2: to talk to us. Thanks for indulging me in drinking the green juice and trying some of the vegan banana bread. And look, I drank the whole (laughs) celery, cucumber,
0: (laughs) spinach. I have an empty bottle here. I just want everyone to know. (laughs) I am proud of you, Jenny. You did good. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye. Well, as you've heard, Teresa sounds content with her life, content with her family, content with being able to choose her next project and content that she's in control of what happens next. She's definitely playing by her own rules and she deserves nothing but praise for persisting as an Aussie in Hollywood. Teresa should also be praised for her attitude towards motherhood. Her children are her everything, and I saw that firsthand. She's navigating this world of Hollywood with them by her side, freely sharing everything she learns along the way with her audience on the website Your Zen Mama. Teresa's starring in a new series based on Deborah Harkness' historical fantasy novel Discovery of Witches, and she'll play Melbourne Cup-winning jockey Michelle Payne in Rachel Griffith's directorial debut Ride Like a Girl. It's reassuring to know the next wave of young Australian females trying to make it in Hollywood have a role model they can look up to, just like Teresa did with Nicole Kidman.
1: Next time on Aussies in Hollywood, Jenny chats to award-winning cinematographer Dean Semler. Dean shares his experiences working on major films Mad Max and Apocalypto and relives the moment he won an Academy Award for Dances with Wolves. It was a fabulous night. I mean,
2: just walking in there with all those people, hearing the music of the themes. And I was up against the, the top cinematographers on the planet, for God's sake, this little kid from Renmark, you know? And when they called my name, I just leapt out of my cheek like a startled rabbit and went up
1: on stage. That's next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is recorded in LA for Podcast One. Recording is by Andrew Sink. Audio production by Alex Mitchell and Nick Slater. Produced by Tim Dunlop. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.